This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, brought to you by The Nephilist. I'm Ian Turner and I'm going to get right into it today as my guest is the fabulous Mr Al Park. He's part of Christchurch's musical DNA, from bands to music stores to bars, and now releasing a new album, Pony. Al is pretty happy just being Al. He's got a stable full of tales to amuse and entertain, and today you'll hear just a handful of them. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Al Park on Plains FM 96.9. Al uh, is there a first moment or a first memory of music for you? I kind of, I, I grew up around music, even though I wouldn't say that it was the most, um, like, well, my parents, my, my dad wasn't musical and he insisted that. <laughs> and I thought maybe I might have picked something off him, but my mum mm. was, she played by ear and her, her brothers did as well. Like Uncle Jack would often be at the piano when I was just a little kid, you know, the old classic Beer on the left, cigarette on the right, you know, churning out songs, all everyone's singing. Yeah. And so like I it's kinda of like I grew up in that sort of environment. And then the same Uncle Jack, his oldest boy, he was a, a, a guitarist, he was older than me, and he was in a band. So when I was about six or seven, you know, Barry was in a band and I, I always remember being over at their place in Titai Bay and pulling out his forty fives and it was like the first time I'd actually seen you know, 45 records, I figure it was the first time. And I was just like so into it. Like I couldn't play them. I was like, I probably wasn't even meant to be touching them. But like just looking at the labels and the like Every Brothers and Buddy Holly and it was like just, it was, it was like a magnet and, I, and I'd been sort of attracted to it just, I don't know why, but I, for a long time later, obsession with me, those little pieces of 45 black plastic, I was like so into it. So... So I think that probably that really triggered it off. But from that point on, if I wasn't seeking it out, it was seeking me out So in so many different ways. Was it singing or a musical instrument for you first? Initially, like sometimes we would join in with the parents. We'd come in from playing and we'd stand around and they were all pretty happy. So that you know how that vibe passes mm. with music and mm. everything. So all pretty happy and we'd be singing away, but you know maybe in as much... Uh, being sort of involving ourselves, but taking the piss as well, yeah, like, you yeah. know <laughs> that kind of thing. With it, and um, and uh, so like it, it was that. But um, pretty early on, we also picked up. Um, I had a younger brother who was three years younger than me, and we ended up with ukuleles. And my dad was a a, a, um, a voxel guy, and so we would quite often play them back in the would go on holidays and mm. things and we'd play them back in Khan. and like I think probably going back to that the first song that I was like I remember Cliff Richard being a big kind of deal I mean Elvis was as well yep I think our kind of one of our first ever songs were was like Travelling Light but also like I remember things like they were simple songs like Michael Rode the Boat Ashore okay that, that kind of time do you think there was any element of you wanting to sort of emulate the showman or was it just in your heart, you know, something that you needed to do? I think it was in me, but it was, wasn't was allowed out for a long time because I didn't find any like-minded souls. And I found 
by the time I got to college, yeah. I can remember primary school, my best buddy was a guy called Glenn Rangy. And he was like at that age, I know it sounds crazy to say this, but he was the school kind of God. He was good looking and everything. And, and he did a bit of Elvis stuff. And by the time I got to sort of like intermediate, still didn't find anyone really who was as into it as I was. Yeah. And this was kind of like pre-Beatles. Early 60s. Yeah. I was born in 1949. Okay. I was almost in the perfect place. Yep. In history, if you think that uh, the, in 1962 I was, I was you're the 13. Boomer or yeah, something along you know, those lines. Beatles, yep. Dylan, yep. Stones, everything came yep. at me when I was starting just to be a teenager. So <laughs> I can imagine. So good. It was it totally, you know, like it totally, my parents were baffled by the whole thing. Yeah. And then I got to college and while I found guys who we were all into the music, yep. uh, say lunchtime, we would all go home to, to a guy's place. Yep. By this stage, I would have been 14 or 15 and yeah. we would practice dance steps. Just because really? we, would go, we would go out to like Tinarama was the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like they'd be this, you know, they'd be 12 hour sort of things or, or you know, four hour things in the town hall or in, in a big hall. Yeah. And they'd have, you know, live bands. So, what else were you doing aside from music um, and lessons? I didn't do any, I didn't do any uh, formal music lessons ever. Mm. Um, and I, by this time, I'd gone from a ukulele to a guitar, but I was also really sporty. I had, two things going for me i had i was so into the music buzz but yeah. not really getting to play it but yeah. i was also like into sport and i was early on there was uh, cricket and football because okay. i was too skinny and light yeah, to play, yeah, to rugby. play rugby yep yeah i yep. saw my dad's disappointment when we went down to get weighed in you know yeah but then by the time i'd got to college um cricket was becoming less because i didn't make the first 11 and i was pretty good but yeah. i wasn't okay not yeah, not not at, not at that age. Yeah, it sort of like wasn't as much fun when you the way that cricket was. But I started getting into athletics a lot more. Yeah, then tennis for the summer sports and um and I was really football was my main main sort of thing and it still is. I, so what I'm just trying to get my head around here is um you're sporty, you're gregarious, um but it's just the boys doing the dance steps at home. I couldn't imagine. Because we were playing all those kind of classic, um, you know, 60s records. Yep. We, the Lamp House was our source of supply, whether it was legal or illegal. I went, you know, I wasn't too, I wasn't too much a part of that. But like about the time I was 15, we were all going to dances yep. and seeing really, really good bands. Quite often we would all be in a line dancing. Yeah. I don't mean a line like a conga line. I mean, like you mean some, you know, guys like on one side, side, girls on the yeah, other yeah, yeah. kind of thing. But most of that were very kind of stylized steps. Yep. You know, forward, back kind yep. of you know, stuff. You yeah. Know. Tell me about original music at least. Um, so you're, you're playing guitar or thereabouts. Um, so when did, you, when did you first write a song? Well, I, you know, all that sort of teenage years, and then right through, and I was started collecting records, okay, and and I was actually importing albums from the UK, yep. when, buying postage. Um, it was a postal. You go yeah, to the and bank. You, and you go bank and you yep. buy a five quid yep. postal order and you buy a few of those and then yeah, you yep. send them over to Tandy's. And um, and then you'd get like, you know, a bunch of records back three months later. Mm. Very exciting. So I had this amazing record collection by the time I was 18 when mm -hmm. I went into Wellington. And at the stage, I was still just a bit of a hack on the guitar. Yep. Hadn't really done much. It sort of picked up a couple of things with people, but nothing really that it happened. Yeah. And um, when I um, moved into Wellington, all of a sudden I met these guys who were real musicians 
like Simon Morris, Tony Backhouse. Yeah. Um, those were the two major ones who wanted to come visit me and check out my record collection because mm. I had records that they only had heard about and seen. Mm. I was so involved in that. That led to me um, about, uh, I don't know, a couple of years later, I was starting university. I sort of got told, oh, it's a very good thing. So instead of going to London, um, which I was saving my money for laboring mm. on the on the Wellington Urban Motorway, mm. I was um, now changing direction and going to uni. Okay. That was cool. And then I moved out of the flat I was in and, to, and had a flat and one of the people who moved in the flat was Simon Morris and another was a, was a buddy of mine from college who was a little bit older than me called Alan Brown. They were both musicians and yeah. Yeah, Simon was pretty recognised and I'd fall around a bit with the guitar with Simon and when you talk about the first song I ever wrote, <laughs> there's an actual story to that. And the first song I figure that that I actually wrote that I you know that was a song was with Simon and it was um, the days of Studio One and they had like a section of Studio One for songwriting and they would pick songs over their six season mm. um, run so Simon and I decided we'd write a song for Studio One so we came up with the song in fact we wrote it I so specifically know this we wrote it after we'd been to the showing of performance it had just come out of that movie and we went home said oh we've got to write that song because you know the entries finish on Friday or whatever so we, we the songs at the time were like knock three times and congratulations they all had that yep. kind of boom boom sort of that bang bang sound you get your yep. jug and go yeah, and hit the yeah, table yeah, at the workman's yeah. club and so we <laughs> so we wrote this song called Boom Boom and <laughs> My heart's beating like a big bass drum. It, this song actually got played a while back, a couple of years ago, on the um, on the matinee idol. Um, I don't know where Simon found it from, but anyway, he did. And so we wrote the song, and um, and we entered it under our flatmate, who was a teacher, Margaret's mm. uh, name, because we thought, you know, Margaret wrote saying, you know, I sing this song with my children, they love it and everything, and they wrote back a letter saying, sorry, Margaret, it's not it. And the next year, Simon had a bit of time left over after he had recorded his three songs, and, mm-hmm. he, and he thought, oh, I'll just knock out Boom Boom again with the boys and enter it again, and they sent back saying, Simon, we'll, you know, we've got your song. Okay, so uh, <laughs> what a difference a year makes, at least. Why do you think it was picked up? I have no idea. Fickle finger of fate. Yeah. But the thing was that, um, and maybe people saw what we had actually done in it, you know, Mm. because it actually was, I mean, it was a pop song. Yeah. And it had all that, I mean, you know, it had, had all the elements of a pop song. How familiar are you with the Eurovision Song Contest? Yeah, that's, that, exactly. that's immediately yeah. what sprang to mind, especially the piss take movie that was put out with the Icelandic yeah. entry. It just sounds so familiar. We had to write a bio. We had to. We got yep. this really kind of gay photo of. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just that, like, if you saw the photo, we had long haired guys. You know, we had really long hair and we were kind of smiley, yeah. smiley. And uh, we had to write this bio in the listener pub. You know, then it was so obvious at Pistate. You know, it was like, it was like uh, you know, Simon and Al met it, it, you know, when they were working in the public service, you know, and then they had that kind of stuff. And they both were, you know, Simon got um, drafted and sent to Waiuru where he won a guitar on a sweepstake on the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> so all of this was, was true or a Pistate? Totally Pistate. Oh, my it was goodness. All, and, you know, then they came back when they started writing songs and this is the song and blah, blah, blah. Well, the judge 
managers were all kind of like, you know, there was there was Nick the Greek who was a big record producer and there was some yeah. big radio producer and Phil Warren yeah. and like they played it and and a, a woman called Desna Sisterich sung it and it's all big production and everything. And and it finished and they just went, Oh, this is the worst song we've ever heard. It's, it was really funny. It was uh, and then just at the end the radio announcer guy went, I don't know, it's it's got something, you know. And then it was it, bam, it was off. But that was the year that uh, Space Walls they won the band award for okay. but it was that same year. But it was so that was the first song I ever really sort of I guess I sort of wrote, but it wasn't till quite a while, another few years before I started writing songs we will be hearing some music very soon um and at this point because i know there's a million and one stories to come out of al park's mouth um i talk about influences and so on now uh, you possibly could have pulled anyone out of out of the hat um but you want to play something by bob dylan oh well at least so we're going back to 1965 yeah, in fact, go back to 1963. When I was a kid, I was just I was taken with Bob straight away. Yeah, he. Why really, was that? I just think I just totally connected with the vibe that was coming out out, out of that. And it's it's a hard thing to explain, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because it still happens. You still I can still hear someone's voice or something and think, wow, you know, like um, most recently, I would have thought like that band Cut Worms. I I I heard that song and I was like well that's really interesting and he turned out to be a pretty good songwriter mm-hmm. Bob um, just I don't know right from the start and I was only a kid and the guy down the road who had been booted out of Wanganu Collegiate and was doing his last year at, at Nino College he just lived around the corner and he used to have a card game his parents worked or whatever and um, they used to have a card game after school and um, I'd go around that and have a few big, big bottles of beer and stuff And What that, was the buy-in? Oh, I didn't play Oh, I, you didn't play? You just no, went around no, there to no, drink? No, no, no I, I just went around there because he had all these Bob Dylan <laughs> oh, records Oh, and they, really? And they would all be there oh, and, too and they'd much. all be playing and, and they'd put me in charge of playing the music and I'd just play Bob Dylan Oh, fantastic and, Yeah, I was only That's I was, your first professional was, DJ gig yeah. just, <laughs> I was only young. Yeah. I was like fourteen or whatever, oh, and they were like seventeen, and you know, yeah. and you know the difference in age at it, that age, it, it, yeah. it's substantial. But yeah. I was writing to Bob, and also I had another friend, Gordon Bellamy, who I used to uh, we used to go to his place. Oh, I won't go into the detail of going to his place, but we used to play all the flip sides as well. So yes. you know, so you'd pick up songs like Gates of Eden by Bob and you go, mm-hmm. wow, this is so amazing. And Bob just took me everywhere. He took me into the blues. I started buying blues records from Tandy's. Mm-hmm. I, I had an amazing, I still have those blues records, collection of blues records wow. that I bought way back in the day. And the weird thing about that, they were importing them from the States into Britain and then sending them to me. Okay. Yeah. Somewhat so, circuitous. So, so we're going to hear Subterranean Homesick Blues yeah. at least. Uh, and as I was reading up um, about this, early music video in yeah. a way because... <laughs> They were filming. They were filming his tour. Have you seen Bob play live? Yeah, I've yeah. seen him five times. Wow, um, that's another story altogether. But I was about to give up on Bob. Um, yeah. I, I'd seen him like once up in Wellington with Tom Petty, was mm. shambles. Um, then I'd seen him down here and at the whatever they call them now, Horncastle or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Um, and he'd always either played too fast or too loud for that room. Um, and I'd never ever really thought that I. It's seen Bob Dylan as I wanted to see him until um, 2016, okay. and he came and you know, and that's a really good story about how I got tickets to all that too. But I got awesome tickets, and um, and it was an awesome show. I think we're going to hear about that in the um, next section. This is Bob Dylan's Subterranean Homesick Blues. Mm-hmm. 
honey's in the basement Mixing up the medicine I'm on the pavement Thinking about the government The man in a trench coat Bad job laid off Says he's got a bad cough Wants to get it paid off Look out, kid It's something you did God knows when But you're doing it again You better duck down the alleyway Looking for a new friend The man in a coonskin cap In a pig pen Wants eleven dollar bills You only got ten Maggie comes fleet foot, face full of black soot Talking at the heat, put plants in the bed But the phone's tapped anyway Maggie says the many say they must bust an early man Orders from the DA Look out, kid, don't matter what you did But walk on your tiptoes, don't tie no bows Better stay away from those that carry around a fire hose Keep a clean nose, wash the clean clothes You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows Get sick, get well, hang around the inkwell, hang bell, hard to tell if anything is gonna sell. Try hard, get bought, get back, ride frail, get jail, jump bail, join the army if you fail. Look out, kid, you're gonna get hit by losers, cheaters, six-time users, hanging around the theaters. Girl by the whirlpools looking for a new fool, don't follow leaders, or watch your parking meters. Short pants, romance Learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed Try to be success Please her, please him Buy gifts, don't steal, don't live Twenty years of schooling And they put you on the day shift Look out, kid They keep it all hit Better jump down a manhole Light yourself a candle Don't wear sandals and Try to forge your scandals Don't wanna be a bum You better chew gum The pump don't work Cause the vandals took the handle This is the Gardner Sound interview with Al Park on Plains FM 96.9. Al, we were just talking about um, cover music, and I wanted to ask you, any covers out there where the cover is better than the original, in your opinion? You probably want to say that All Along the Watchtower, for instance, Hendrix's version is a better version than Bob's. Um, I thought you were going to say U2 for some reason. (laughs) No, I have to say that sadly I'm not a big U2 fan. um, Bono just makes me cringe. I just don't know what. Yes. But I've never been a fan. Uh Mostly I go for the original. Yeah. You know, like you can hear the Stones do time on my side and do a great version of it, uh, probably better than the the original. But really, you you know, going back and you hear the original, you think, well, I I love what that is and I love how the Stones have changed it. Um, Yeah. um, Whether it's better or worse, I I don't know. But, I mean, I love the way that Hendrix changed it. And I think that's what mostly, uh, you know, they say that Joe Cocker's version with a little help from my friends is better than Ringo's. But, hey, I love Ringo singing and I love just the image of Ringo singing with a little help from my friends. It's bouncy and it's mm. it's fun and it's and it, and it makes you smile a lot more than than say yep. said Joe Cockers. And so yeah. I like music that actually makes you happy as well. Okay. I don't need every song to drain me, you know. That's fair enough. I, I like it uplifting. Tell me about twenty sixteen and the tickets that you got to Bob Dylan. I'm really good friends, um, and I say this, but really good friends. I, I'm good friends. Really with, good personal <laughs> friends. <laughs> with uh, with Vicky Anderson, who I've known a long time, and who I, I actually have a lot of time for. I admire her. I think she's a really good writer. I think that it's unfortunate that it hasn't had more support 
from the print media in New Zealand yeah. because she is real good and she has a vast knowledge of New Zealand music. Yep. So that's my little plug for Vicky, who, who I love. But I think is is that uh, she would quite often flick me tickets, yep. which is real nice. She, yep. And um, she rang me up and said, "Look, I've I've got a couple of Bob tickets here, and um, and I've been given better tickets in, in the fourth row, but you can have my tickets from the eighth row." And I was like. Wow, that's so cool. I, so I rang up my boy, AJ, and I said, Age, I'm going to ask you if you want to go to Bob Dylan. I'm going to not even ask you. I'm going to say you're going. You don't going to have a choice. And I was yep. like, cool. He, he was into Bob anyway. So yeah. even though I wasn't buying tickets for the show because I'd, I'd sort of sworn him said, off. Yeah, saying, it's I never going to no, happen. He's not going to do it. So, so, <laughs> so, which is a pretty bad thing to say. I know. And then on the day of the show, Vicky rang me again and said, Look, I've just been given two more tickets. Do you know anyone else who'd want to go? And I thought, I'd love to take my daughter as well. You know, I'd love to get my, my kids to see Bob Dylan. Yep. It's, they know how big he is for me, and I'd love them to do it. And then I thought of Dave Mitchell, who did my lights for me, and and I thought it'd be real nice to give Dave, flick Dave that ticket because he'd been real helpful to me in my time in Ellsbar. So now I had four tickets, and like I've got my kids, and we're going to them, and I'm saying, look, don't expect this going to be the greatest show on earth. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, it turned out to be like just stunning. And my my son at that age was still into sound. He was a sound engineer because I'd he'd I'd, he'd worked the bar for me from when he was like fourteen, and mm-hmm. so he knew all about sound. And he was like where he was sitting, it was great. My daughter was sitting right with me, and it was great for her. And yeah. it was just a stunning show. And and so finally, I actually got to see Bob deliver how I imagine. Why was it stunning? Well, the sound was awesome for a start off. The band played like there's a lot of things about going to, to shows that that um, I guess as a musician and as a person who listens to to to, to to music that um, that you want to see. Uh, it, sometimes you just want to see the sheer excitement of being there, and it doesn't matter if the band's a bit ragged. Because, yep. uh, but you know, when you go into a big show, you want the sound to be pretty good. And, yep. and for someone like Bob, if the sound's good, the, the band's playing good. Doing shows is a is a is a hard thing. It doesn't matter how many times you do them. There's so many factors that go into whether it all works on the night. You know, it's a, mm. it's a lot to ask, you know, seven or eight people to actually all be in the same groove at the same time. Tell me about your worst show. Um, well, I, to be honest, I don't know if I actually could. I, I, well, there will be there will be worse shows. I, I, Something you the, wish the, the world would have just eaten you alive. Oh right? well, they, they would have been drug induced. Um, mm. Like, cause like in the early days, I did do times when I foolishly did some sort of drugs that I probably shouldn't have done to yep. play on. At some point, that would have, you know, probably improved what you were doing. I oh, imagine. Well, I've always wanted to say that having a good old smoke would, but you know, there are people who maybe disagree with that. But eh. it's it's a it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like in the days of the hot sticks at the Marine, I would wait until I'd set it up. I'd say setting it up, we'd do three sets. And so, like, you do your first set, you do your second set, and then you write for the – you know that you write on it. You've got everything going. Yep. And it sounds good. Everything's going good. And yep. little smoke, relax. little top up yep. um, just takes it to the next level. Yep. I guess, you know, there were times um, – probably this is a function of my memory, like, to wipe out any bad experiences yep. in my life, which I've actually quite been quite good at doing, I think, because if we were to talk about my life, I'd probably – be able to speak about it in fairly glowing terms, in terms of actually fun and enjoyment. Yeah. There have been so nothing's ever gone wrong. Yeah, lots gone wrong. Yeah, 
yeah. It's a lot of lot of heartbreak songs that I've written yeah. that have gone wrong. How is Al right now? For the first time in it, like probably my whole time, um, and I don't want this to go the wrong way because I've had a lot, a lot of help from a lot of friends. Like you know, say when I was opening Al's bar, all my friends rallied around and came in and helped me, and that was really good. But I've always wanted to support people, whether it's been musical or just any of their endeavours. So like when I was at Echo, people would come in and they go, oh, well, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I, I'd always try to put a positive spin into people because I think that, that that's a good thing. You you want people, you want to elevate people rather than denigrate people. So I've always had that and I've had that around a lot of musicians um, of all sorts of genres and things. It hasn't mattered to me too much about what it is, but like if a guy's wanted to be a heavy metal guitar player, I said, go for it, man, you know, blah, blah, blah. With my own music, I've always felt that I uh, uh, there were certain aspects of it that I've missed out on. For instance, Barry Saunders said to me a while back, he said, oh, you know, when he first started recording, you know, the, the, he had a producer there who was going, oh, you shouldn't sing, do that, sing, blah, blah, blah. Coaching, basically, in, in techniques and things. And like here, I'm going to Arnie Van Vassel's studio, right at, I was probably, I think, one of the very first people, if not the first of the local sort of punky bands to go to Arnie and say, Can we? but, and as, as lovely as Arnie is, and no one was saying, oh, you know, get do this or do that. And of course, like, you make you a cup of tea, make you feel comfortable. Yeah, I imagine, you know, right? just just um, sort of sorting out things. So anyway, yeah. to cut all that. I think that because um, Adam and Elmore, who is quite a story in my life, anyway, just the way that a that I know both of those boys and how um, I guess you could say that I've been instrumental in them coming together. The help that they've have been to me and the encouragement and the enthusiasm and everything has been fantastic and so mm-hmm. it's like someone said to me oh you know like you know you're just getting back what you know you've given and it sort of feels like that and it's been a kind of odd thing to actually to be taking on board it's sort of like kind of weird because it's it's real nice and Gino who's bad at gin century um, has just been fantastic like in organizing things for me and stuff and so not only that it's since the earthquakes i um i've been doing a lot of solo stuff and i never did that i always had a good guitar player i always had really good musicians what made you do that well once the earls bar went after the earthquakes the harbour union came along and and of course i know all the guys i've been good friends they've been playing earls bar they were they were all my friends but I hadn't played a lot of music with them, but um, Adam McGrath was the guy who instigated all that. And, you know, and Adam has been fantastic in my life as as well, as I've known him since he was a young kid. Um, Mm. And he um, said, oh, we're doing this album and we want a song out of you for it. You know, we for the earthquakes, and I said I'm going to play it by myself and everything, which essentially is what I did. And I, and and then I was playing shows with the Harbour Union, and I started yeah. realizing that I had to get better. And I was, I was starting to, um, with the earthquakes, I was putting on shows at the Hot Yacht Club, and I started to play a lot more on my own. And I started to go out and get work because I had, um, I still wanted to play, and I was booking castles, the brewery, and so I started playing solo and putting a repertoire together mm. and while I'd always been a, 
real good with my bands and being the front guy and entertaining and being so there I can do all that really well that was yep. what my big contribution yep. to the music was I hadn't really done much solo though I had done solo shows and I yep. I'd supported Marianne Faithful and 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 a few other people as you do um, but yes you do but I'd never I'd never actually got got it down to just me and a guitar yeah so I decided that's what I was going to do I wanted to get that aspect of me for this for, for these years so i started doing that and putting a repertoire together and then sort of taking the things i'd learned out of how to play in a band of you know what songs to start off with and and what to play in the middle yep. and what to play you know through your show yep. you know and, and creating moods and things like that and i i would say that like and since since like probably about i don't know the year 70 i have actually f- felt totally comfortable and and totally at home with my with my limited abilities of playing and singing. Yes, um, I've felt that I've actually got them into a level now where I actually don't angst about it. I don't okay. think when I walk into a room, you know, that someone who I really respect and is really good it's as a musician go. is going to go Ugh, because I feel real comfortable about it now. And it's such a nice feeling That's to awesome. to have that, you know, and and to have the support of of um, of like Adam and Elmore with this album, the way that that's all come about, and Adam going through my songs, and and now we're before this album even comes out at the end of May, um, we're off down to Kurau to um, do another Al Park album with just Adam and Elmore and myself. Yeah, so fantastic! Yeah. It is time for some music. Yeah, um, and I do ask for an all-time fave, and uh, you picked something by oh, Gladys Knight and the Pips. I did, and. Um, as I mentioned, I could have actually picked, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's thousands of songs that I've loved. And, uh, you know, like I think of something like Autumn Albanet, which is kind of appropriate for the time of the year now, by The Kinks, which is just the, one of the greatest pop songs ever written in terms of just its construction and its and its hooks and the mm. whole thing. If, you, if I'd ever written a song like that, I'd probably give them songwriting away after it because it's such a good song. Um, I've always liked Gladys Knight and Pip's Midnight Train to Georgia because it's beautifully sung by her. Mm. The storyline is classic storyline about, you know, going to trying to be a star. It's, it's kind of like, um, do you know the way to San Jose kind of vibe. And anyway, Gladys Knight, uh, I've just always loved her as a, a singer. If you listen to the song she, and, and all the things with the, the pips doing little sounds like, you know, the little oohs and, um, yeah. and the repeated lines, um, it's a really cleverly written song and then I saw Gladys Knight I had the privilege of seeing her in the town hall just a few years ago and she was just outstanding at her age she and the energy and the vibe that came off the stage honestly it was it it was something else Gladys Knight and the Pips this is Midnight Train to Georgia
This is the Garden of Sound interview with the fabulous Al Park on Plains <laughs> FM 96.9. A uh, bit of smoke blowing there. Um, at the end of the section, we're going to hear your new single, which is released today, April 15th. Good Friday. Um, running away from a broken heart. Before we get into that, um, have you got a favourite hymn? 
they never really ever did it for me to be honest yeah i, I mean it wasn't but, like you're getting some church up in here no well i don't think that you know the prezies weren't ones for letting loose yeah you know the, yep. like they didn't sing up you know it yeah. was kind of all very staid and yeah. I, I i i love the exuberance of music yeah and i love the the strength of it the power of it to uplift people yeah and and it's as simple as like you know louis in the hot sticks days of every you know friday and saturday just having people leave that that pub high like like just whooping and yep. I love that from what music can do I don't yeah. care that if, if it's something is if it's a simple chant at which all bands use would be 660 or any of those bands they all get big sing-along things it's simple and simple but it, yep. it's uplifting and I think that a lot of church you know that they, they lost that vibe it was kind of like white bread running away from a broken heart yeah were you running away from a broken heart you know, I think that like all songs have elements of something you've experienced. Then there are the ones that I think are made up songs, um, which that's not one, but there's another one on the album similar in style to that, um, which is called um, Just One of Those Things, which is in a very similar sort of country style. Yeah. That was made up, but then as I go on, I look and think, Mm. <laughs> that's okay. not all made Maybe up. A deeper, <laughs> yeah. Deeper so, uh, you know, some men are born to be with one woman all their life, and and somehow I wasn't one of those men. And I won't say that it's always been that I've always been that good at relationships, but I've always tried to be good. Yeah. Um, I think in my early years, I had difficulty with the fact that I seemed to be around a lot of very attractive women. That's all I really want to say about that. <laughs> and then, but in, as time goes on, you see things, and that song was about that song does have an element of a past experience. But yeah. I, I remember reading a, a, a thing about Carly Simon and James Taylor, and Carly going on about like James' songwriting, and she'd be looking at it and everything, and, and it, you know, it caused some kind of like tension in their relationship, supposedly, because, mm. because there were things in there that made her doubt and everything. And, You've got to be careful um, and and respectful to your partner um, about just how much of that is something that's um, that's happening or has, has happened. You've got to have some sort of license to elaborate on situation. So that's what I would think about that. But um, yeah, I, I think that 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 was definitely a song, just like California was a song as well. And yeah. and then there's a, a cute little one that Hathaway covered on his um, Rooster album. That I don't think I've got the definitive version on this, but and I don't think he's done the definitive. But it's a simple song called Honolulu that just straight off wrote itself. Talking very generally about Pony, which is out in May, yeah. as you've said, uh, where was the majority of it uh, recorded? <laughs> Mostly, I think um, we recorded in front rooms. Yep, um, at Elmore's uh, Merivale side yep. of town, in my front room, some of it, and some of it um, also in Ryan Fisherman's flat. Most of it sort of like, uh, it actually has come out sounding really good to me, to my ears, um, considering how it was recorded. And I think that guy, um, that guy Finn, he does a show on Karen Hay on Friday night. He was just talking about um, Hathaway and Elmore and me about our recording and he said it's all done in front rooms or something. He was making making jokes about the other night, which was kind of funny. But um, yeah, it just goes to show that you can. But this next album is probably like, it's 
for me that we're going down to actually stay for four days at a recording studio and just spend all our time doing that. It's so the first time I've ever done that. And I just going to Sublime. Yeah. Hanging out with Steve and, yeah. and Tom and, yeah. and doing the business. But you talk about the um uh the product and you've got class players and you have, you know, great production going on. Is there anything you're disappointed about on the album? You can always listen to something and think, oh, that, that could be better, but you yep. don't want to. I don't want to because the th- the fact is is that it's actually I'm happy. Yep. I'm as happy as all the songs sound good to me. Yeah. Like a lot of albums, it probably just doesn't quite overall sort of like gel this, this in terms of like it sounds all the same, but I, I, I don't want an album to sound all the same. I, I think I the, the pleasure of, of of my, you know, 60s, 70s, whatever, is that records sound, you don't hear a Beatles album sounding the same. You you know, like the of songs all come from different yep. s- different things. And I th- that's what is always I've liked about albums. And I think that's what has been one of the downfalls of a lot of uh, bands pretty much from the 90s on is that you, you hear a band for the first time, you go, wow, wow. it's very good. And, and, uh, then, and then the next album has to be the same as the, the first album. whose but, fault is that? Well, I think that's uh, that's the whole kind of expectation of of record companies and bands and public. They people start deciding what they think the public want, and that's I think that as soon as you start thinking what the public want, what that I'm going to give the public what they want, then you're on a losing streak. Talking about Canterbury or Christchurch, at least just for a second, are we on an upward trend for music? Are we getting back to our best, or do you see differently? Our best has always been there. Our best was there in the '60s, with like when they had the chance and and all the '60s bands, the Chapter and and and, and the Inbetweens and all those bands, and and then and you go through and look at all the successful artists that have come out, Anika and Beck, um, Feelers. Yeah. You, know, you could have to say the exponents, um, you yeah. know, for the way that it happened. Uh, it's just it's ongoing. And now there's like so many people in different genres that there was a time when you could pretty much know the spectrum, yep. you know, of artists. Now it's impossible. You can have some kid coming out of his bedroom, yep. like in, in Auckland or whatever, and, you know, someone's picked up their beats or their song and, and, and you've never heard of them and you never hear them again probably, but, but there's a lot, a lot of talent. I think it's time we hear this track. This is off Al Park's new album, Pony. It's called... Running away from a broken heart. I've had tears run down till I thought I would drown. I've been broken and busted. And I've been running away from a broken heart I remember the day Away from the memory of you 
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Al Park on Plains FM ninety six point nine. Um, what's the what's the secret of your success? <laughs> My success, um, for whatever it is, has been that I have an ability. I think of being able to stand in an audience for a long time and figure out what I think an audience. And this isn't pl- actually playing what an audience wants so much as playing to an audience that will take them to some place and I try to do that even now when I'm uh, playing in a bar on a Sunday afternoon I want to create a vibe I don't need people to be listening to me even I just need to create a vibe and I think back in the days when I was you know, say my very first punky bands well we created a vibe I knew what you know like we were hard at it and we had you know we had and I knew songs that were right for the time even if the audience didn't know the song I knew the songs to play at the right time to follow songs. And I think that that it's something that a lot of people actually don't realise as musicians. I go along and see bands playing songs, and I, that, you know, like there might be covers or whatever, but they haven't got their set organised in a way that, that is actually, yeah, that's, you know, it's it's sounds kind of like it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter much, but it does. I've got two questions for you uh, from that. Uh, is the album still important? that people don't get the chance, well, the only people who get a chance to understand why an album was so good are people who buy vinyl. Um, because the fact is, is that like it was just so exciting getting and and, and you play a, a, an album and it would have like four or five songs on side one. And, you know, quite often you, I wouldn't flip an album over until like I like maybe a couple of months yeah. before I even even got to the other side because I'd get that that vibe and then you'd turn it over and you'd pick up all the other stuff. It was So I think that that was good. And the second question was, is there still a bit of punk in Al? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, if good. You, if you come and see me, you come and see like, uh, you know, Wednesdays when we're playing play in Littleton, which I do every Wednesday. Okay. Um, Where do you play? 
We started off in the Wunder Bar yeah. and did that for four years. Then yeah. we had a little sort of hassle there. We moved down to the Loons, which was fantastic. A basement bar, I call it. like It's like an underground bar. And um, and then with COVID, they found it hard to be thinking that they could have more than one staff, to employ another staff member to yeah. make that Wednesday night worthwhile. Um, so just recently, we've been down in the Commoners, which is the, the Shepatai a restaurant okay. um, underneath the British. It's fantastic. It's like, but it's pretty low there. But there's times when you just lash out. Yeah. Have a good old lash. Yeah. There's still a bit of a punt. If you had one musical gift to give to Greater Christchurch, what would that be? What does Christchurch need more of musically? What do you think? I think that the one thing that I think the music schools have lacked is possibly someone, a tutor like myself, that would have not talked about just how to play music in the sense of the techniques of, of music and the theory of music, but actually just trying to ground people a little bit more in their aspirations. I think a lot of musicians have, uh, I mean, it's great to have the dream and, you know, trying You're to live the unreal, dream. But, but unrealistic expectations. I think a lot of people have unrealistic expectations. And I think there's ways to make them better. I quite often go out and see bands and say, "Man, if you just knew this or did did this, that you would be you'd be so much better." Because man, there's a lot of talent. I think probably be a good thing to have someone not not necessarily me, mm. um, but to have you know people just doing that. Maybe it doesn't happen. Whatever. That's not quite where I would have um, ended. The no, no, no. That's <laughs> and that's all we have time for. That was Al Park waxing lyrical on the failures of the Christchurch music scene. <laughs> yeah. um, Al, it's been absolutely fantastic to, to have you on the show and have a good old conversation and hopefully not cover too much the same old, old ground. Um, we do have time for um, another track before we head out today. And again, it is off Pony, which is out on May something. 27. May 27. Mark it in your diaries or your calendars or your file of faxes. Um, that album, Pony, and the track we're going to hear uh, very soon is called Friend of Mine, which is slightly, little, slightly more rocky. Um, what's this one yeah. about? Not everyone approves of everyone who you might have as a friend. It came out of that where, you know, like I was hanging out with someone and not all of my friends were kind of that into it. But like, you know, I'm smart enough to know my own mind and to know who I want to hang out with and who I don't want to hang out with. And so, you know, so that kind of came out of that, really. And I think that probably happens for a lot of people. I don't think it's something, you know, that it doesn't happen very often. I think there's quite often that yeah. thing among among people. But... Can I say how much uh, I've enjoyed uh, absolutely not hanging no, out with you? No. In? Okay, I won't do that. It's All right, fine, fine. Okay, good. So. <laughs> no, it's been absolutely wonderful to have you yeah. on the show, and it's been wonderful to be here. Thank you.
Thanks for joining me today on Garden of Sound. That's all we have time for. One day we may hear the complete story. If you want to find out more about Al Park and his forthcoming album Pony, head to gardenofsound.nz and click on Al's photo on the front page. I'm Ian Turner and this has been Garden of Sound. Until next week, keep well, keep listening and keep playing. E nohorah.